With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Turn on the Jets podcast. I'm your host, Will Parkinson, at WillPawLab on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Only going to be a two-episode a week this week. Um, you know, I went on went on Badlands last night, and most people listen to my podcast, listen to Badlands, so figured, uh, let's not uh, let's not have you listen to my voice more than three times this week. Um, Brad Spielberger to join me today. We, I, you know, I talked through a lot of Jets Raiders, recapped it, um, some of the Michael Carter stuff, some of Rogers comments, the whole nine yards. Uh, Tuesday had to sleep on it. Brad, a how we doing? And B, are you sad the Tyson Bajan era is over? Yeah, doing pretty well outside of, of course, the uh, the loss of the Tyson Bajan era. You know, that is that is a somber, somber development. But no, good. And uh, we finally get a good Thursday night football game tonight for the first time in, I don't know, a month, two months. Yeah, we get that. And then the last two of the last three weeks, we've had elite primetime slates. And then the week that was sandwiched in between was obviously horrendous. But um, yeah, I want to start with, with Jets Raiders, and just kind of put a bow on it. Any any last thoughts, any thoughts, I guess, on that game, just because it, I said it the other day, if Zach Wilson scores and doesn't step out of bounds and or the CJ Uzama penalty don't happen, the Jets probably win that game by 25, 30 points. That's the way the NFL works. And you don't, you get a penalty, you settle for three, you let a bad team hang in it and you lose. So um, am I off base there, I guess? And then be, you know, any other thoughts on that game? Penalties were pretty infuriating uh, for sure in that game. I mean, I feel like it's kind of getting a little bit overblown to where people are trying to blame like Robert Sala, which again, like it is, it is a coaching thing. Like, you know, to a degree, yes, that is fair. Um, but at a certain point, players need to execute and just like be in the right position uh, and not have all the pre-snap stuff or during the plays. Uh, you know, you mentioned Uzama. Yeah. So, no, I think at, at a larger scale, I think it's pretty, you probably covered it. I would say on a smaller scale, just like individual takeaways. I, You and I both like Joe Tittman a lot. I know it's right now it's because of necessity, but I think we're seeing that he probably needs to play guard long term. I just don't know if he has. He's too tall. Like, I don't know if he has the leverage to be a center. I think he might as well. Like, he's been awesome at guard. So, yeah, not really about the game itself, but I, I just kind of come back to that a bunch. Um, Garrett Wilson is a superstar. My prediction preseason that he'd have, like, 1,500, whatever, with Rodgers is probably too low. Uh, he probably would have had, like, 1,800 if he was playing with Aaron Rodgers. So, but, yeah, no, I, I think we're all on the same page there. Uh, you need more keeping tight ends in, playing more Jeremy Ruckert, and letting, letting those guys block and max protect or sixth offensive lineman. Like, you got to see all that right away in this Buffalo game. You got to see it. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Yeah, so let's get into some of the news that happened this week. Just want to get your thoughts on it. We'll start with the Rogers stuff because again, it doesn't. It's not really any like news. It's just you know when he talks about certain stuff. A, did you appreciate 
course, ML football, you know, uh, I clipped something from McAfee, then he clipped something screen recorded off my clip of recording McAfee and totally took out of context that the Giants suck. Um, not shocking. My mentions have been horrendous the last three days. It's my fault. I did it to myself. Um, I aggregated something and then paid the price. Uh, so that's my, that's on me. Uh, that's a mistake. Um, never again. But more, more important news, Rogers kind of mentioned, you know, I think everyone's paid attention, always pays attention to certain things that either the reports or how he's looking and everything like that. One thing he said, oh, you know, if we're in it, all that stuff, and the negative people that don't like Rogers are saying that's his caveat to, to not play. Then there's the people that are saying, like, that's what he should do because if they're not in it, there's a million different things. Like, I guess basically, the two things I want to kind of get your take on is one, I think we're seeing a lot of people that don't like Rogers their take on the injury, him coming back, et cetera, is like, here, I don't like this guy, and this is why I have this stance. Am I off base on that? And two, he said something interesting everyone kind of picked up on mid-December. He said if he has a good week this week, the timeline could be moved up. So, like, it feels like it's a, a fluid timeline here of, like, the Jets win these next two games, which they very much could. This is what this team has been all year. We don't have no idea what we're getting. All of a sudden, maybe he's like, I'm coming back to the Texans game on Monday Night Football, right? Because that game will get flexed, obviously. Or is it like they lose the next two and he's like, eh, maybe Christmas Eve if they get back in. You know what I mean? Like where, I guess, yeah, I guess kind of tackle the Rodgers stuff before we get into Michael Carter and, and this Bills game. Uh, yeah, look, you're always going to have like people whose takes and opinions are just tethered to different things besides the specific situation. I think it would be silly for him not to care about the record and where it stands. Like, you look at a Ryan Jensen last year in Tampa Bay, I think probably the best, most recent example. Like, he basically ended his career last year by trying to come back and play with Tom Brady. And they obviously were in the playoff hunt because their division was horrendous and, and they won it at eight and nine. But, like, if that team, you know, if they, I don't know, if, if Brady gets hurt also and, and, the, and the Bucks aren't good, Ryan Jensen's probably the Buccaneer starting center right now. So it's like those things always are real and should matter. If anything, as a Jets fan, I'd probably be happy to hear that and be like, okay, he's going to protect 2024, which is still an extremely important year and a year that you can go very far in. And frankly, if you just look at the division, the Dolphins and Bills are going to be even worse next year, in my opinion, just looking at their pending free agents they have. Obviously, things can change, but um, those are two teams that are bottom five in the NFL and cap space next year. The Dolphins' entire offensive line is basically a free agent. So anyway, for the Rodgers piece, like, yeah, like I would hope he says that. I guess you could make an argument like, oh, like it's kind of hedging. Like, you know, he's not actually as healthy as he says he is. But it's like, even if so, like, yeah, okay, whatever. Like it's, he's trying to be Superman and maybe it doesn't work out. But like, it's all, it's all kind of, you know, he, he probably knows it's crazy when he's saying it too. It's not like he thinks it's normal uh, what he's doing. He's trying to defy the odds and, you know, push himself probably beyond where a normal human being would push themselves. But that's the entire point of the operation anyway. Yeah. I, I'm just like... I just can't deal with the, oh Rogers is selfish, dude. Where have you been? The, no, I made this point yesterday on two other shows. Tom Brady did the most look at me thing of all time before every game, running out of the tunnel without a helmet. On. He's the only guy doing it, and then runs down. Okay, let's go! Like that's all about Brady. That's all about him. The cameras on him. That's all about him. So spare me with the. I'm seeing you know uh, people that host shows here in New York uh, on radio stations that are. Uh, that, you know, Rodgers is selfish and it was a terrible teammate to Jordan Love. So that's why they don't have a backup quarterback. He doesn't want to make Zach Wilson look bad. Dude, Jordan Love could not say anything more positive about Aaron Rodgers. Rodgers went out of his way to mentor a guy. He, he could have said, 
fuck you, buddy. Like I'm winning the MVP every year. I have no reason to like ever entertain your presence. That didn't happen. So I'm not sure where that lie came from. And then B, what Rogers is not the GM as much as we like to put this thing on Rogers. Yes. Do I think that pursuing, we talked about this a million times. Do I think pursuing a Kirk cousins four or five weeks ago was unlikely if Rogers is going to come back because it's hard to bench Kirk. Who's a perennial pro bowl level quarterback. Yeah. Okay. That's fair. That's a fair, you know, indictment, whatever. The jets could have traded for Ryan Tannehill or Gardner Minshew, theoretically speaking, they would have gone to the bench fast, just as fast as Zach Wilson. We don't have to do this whole song and dance. This dude's won four MVPs. He's one of the three best people to ever touch a football. I mean, at the quarterback position, in my opinion. So, like, let's not do this. So, I want to move to the Michael Carter piece. Um, again, I, I talked about this last night in the pod on Tuesday. Not surprised he's was going to be inactive. I was a little surprised he got cut. But also, when he it came out and I, I tweeted about it, it was kind of the classic, hey, buddy, you're the you know 25th man on you know an MLB baseball team 26th man I apologize now you know you've no minor league options left we want to send you to AAA because we don't have a spot for you we might need you down the line but right now you're we don't need you you know do you want to go somewhere else do you want us to try to work out a trade obviously the deadline is passed so we can't do that so like if this happened four weeks ago maybe you get a team to say let's swap seventh round picks in 2025 for this situation. They cut him. He gets picked up. Three teams claimed him. He gets to go to Arizona. Him and Kyler Murray aesthetically will be the funniest backfield in NFL history. Um, what do you make of of the move, if anything? I feel like someone said it the other day, and I don't want to take credit for their tweet. They said the fact that the a third or four string running back on a four and five team is getting this much airtime over 48 hours is a joke. But um, I guess we'll f- wrap up the Michael Carter saga with any thoughts on the move. Yeah, I mean, I don't even have all that many thoughts. Like it's like you said, it's kind of funny to even be talked about this much. It probably goes into the Rogers comments, you know, that you're talking alluding to before, um, you know, of like, you know, the New York media, like giving us, you know, caring so much about us. What is it? Eight rushing attempts this season or something like that. He has a sub 60 rushing grade for us. It's like fringe top 100 in the NFL uh, among any running back with at least one carry. And obviously it's just, you know, one stat, whatever, but um, yeah, like it's not even a big deal. Like he had a good rookie year. He does have some talent, some ability, but like Izzy Abanaconda is what, like a 20, 21 year old rookie that you want to see what you have there. I think he's more exposed the busy ability to break off explosive gains more. Like you could probably argue Car- Carter's a better pass catcher has other skill sets he has that maybe Izzy does not. If you want a guy that can come in and break off a 30 yard run, I'd probably lean towards Izzy, you know, in, in that category. So yeah, like, I don't know. It's it's funny. And then as for you know him getting claimed, like, yeah, there's teams with injuries across the NFL running back that are saying, okay, we can pick up a guy on a cheap rookie deal and bring him in. Arizona has had, what, like six guys get hurt at that position uh, this year. So, yeah, I'm not trying to, like, downplay. Like, no, like, yeah, he, he, was, he was a good rookie. He was an interesting and exciting player. At this point, the team has three running backs that they think are probably better than him. Um, it's kind of a non, kind of a non story, frankly. Yeah, one of the things that you know, Michael Carter saw saw some folks. Um, not going to name names that we're discussing. You know, his ability and his prowess on third downs. Um, that's part of why he's not on the team anymore because he was a terrible third down running back. He's actually a guy who's well liked teammate. Probably was a best used as a first down or second down running back, a change of pace guy, and. The Jets didn't use him that way, so it's not just on him, but that's not the way he was used. You know, one thing that I think we've all noticed that, like this year is Brees Hall is – and Brees Hall and Dalvin Cook, first and second down, they're on the field, third down, it's always Michael Carter. And Brees Hall is the team's best offensive player. 
Dalvin Cook's probably their third or fourth best offensive player, whether people want to hear that or not. Um, that's the truth. And these guys in key situations for a team that's historically bad on third down, they need to have Brees Hall on the field. So the best way to get Brees Hall on the field is to have an Izzy that get five to six carries a game on first down, to get Dalvin Cook on first down, and not just always be run up the middle, but let Dalvin Cook get you know one or two series in a row and have Brees him and Brees Hall on the field at the same time. And you don't, like they have four guys that I think you trust right now in some levels. It's obviously Brees and Garrett Wilson. I think you trust Tyler Conklin and you trust Dalvin Cook. The rest of the guys are. You're not really sure what you're getting. Um, you know, somehow Xavier Gibson's like making his way into that. Whatever it is, you know what I mean? Like, there's just not a lot of guys you trust to not commit errors, to make can make a big play or and or be trustworthy for Zach Wilson. And they gotta get a find a way to get those guys all on the field at one time. They gotta find a way to get those guys the ball. Um Michael Carter being out of the mix allows a guy like Izzy. The Jets have struggled in the return game as well the last couple of weeks. You know, they haven't tackled as well as they were early in the year, and they haven't broken like a single nice return in a while. Izzy could return kicks. He's a 4-2 guy. Um, the move just made a ton of sense. Salas, you know, hinted, not so subtly hinted at it. He literally said it twice. Um, this week, there'll be more other changes. You know, Kenny Eboas, they activated his window. What other changes do you see, kind of theoretically speaking, around the margins for this Jets offense? Because I made this point, like, they should be able to score 20 a game. I'm not asking them to be the, the 99 Rams or the, you know, the, the week, the week one through four warriors that are the Miami dolphins or any of these teams. Like if they could score 20 points a game, they'd be seven and one or eight and one right now. Like that's the way it works. So um, what, I guess, what changes do you see and what do they do with Dwayne Brown? Cause I believe if I'm not mistaken, his 21 day window to be activated, like this is the week he's been act He's practiced for three weeks now. Yeah, so I was going to say that one first. Um, and I know you, we've talked about like maybe asking him to go to the right side. I just don't think that's feasible. And I know it's not Dude, ideal. just to... be Jason Peters. Go to right guard or go to <laughs> – like, just come on. Just four weeks of it. Not everyone's Jason Peters, man. I, I This is a random tangent. But Jason Peters uh, still just mauling dudes at 41 years of age. I think he's almost 42 now. He's like 41 in like nine months. Elite O-line um, aesthetic, the, t- the spatted ankles, black visor, like running back face mask. What a beast. Absolute beast. Absolute beast. And and like um you'd think too, is he just like a pass set guy that like doesn't really try and run blocking? Like, no, like he's he's getting out in space, like getting to the second level. Um, but yeah, anyway, not everyone's built that way. Yeah, maybe you try to ask Dwayne to do that. I, I suppose you could. I get not wanting to disrupt what Makai is doing at left tackle, and you probably feel better about okay, if Dwayne gets hurt again, like we have Max Mitchell and, and Billy Turner eventually, and like more guys we trust to fill that, that spot in. But I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. Anyway, so that, that that's obviously a big part of it, and I think that will go a long way. I did mention pre, you know, earlier in the show. I think once McGovern is healthy and available, I think Tipman at right guard for like just plug and play that, and just kind of be done with that for now. I do think makes a lot of sense. And then the last one I also mentioned, like I want to see more Jeremy Ruckert, even if he's staying in a ton and really all he's doing is leaking in terms of like running routes and stuff like that. Like I'm fine with that. Um, it's funny to compare the Giants and anything they do well, but like I like how they use. Um, why am I blanking on his name now? Uh, Daniel Bellinger. Yeah, well, I love how they use Daniel Bellinger, and it's like he doesn't run routes either. But like he's a he's a he's a value to that offense, and and, and right now nothing matters. But like when it, you know the first month of the season and dating back to last year, like it was a valuable role and an important piece of what they were doing, not only in the run game but also in pass sets. So um, those are probably the three biggest things on on offense. I don't think we really have you know, many tweaks on, on the defensive side. Yeah, no, look, the the only other one is probably either activating Jason Brownlee and having him be, they got to get Garrett Wilson the slot more. Um, Zach Wilson, you know, 
feels like sometimes he's just better throwing more confident, at least throwing over the middle of the field, which is hysterical because none of his college tape did that, um, which is, again, <laughs> the, the funniest part of the draft process and where you go to school and how everything works. Um, if you activate Brownlee, he's a 50-50 guy. Again, undrafted guy. He's clearly last in the trust tree right now. I mean, Irv Charles plays special teams, so he's above him. Malik Taylor's played the last couple of weeks, which is it's funny, obviously. The, the one moment on hard knocks and – um, it wasn't even about him. It was about Zach and Rogers. If you if you throw Brownlee one or two 50-50 balls a game, he probably draws at least a defensive pass interference at worst and gets you a free first down. Like, they need to take any opportunity. Um, we mentioned Dwayne Brown, and I'm being – I don't know if he would do this, and I'm being dead serious when I say this. Line him up as a fullback three times a game. Like, literally just have him lead block. Like, what's the – why not? Or be a six offensive lineman and then put Ruckert as a fullback. Like, these are the things where, again, I'm not – I know it sounds so stupid and it's like, oh, this was just mad. And, like, no, I'm being genuinely serious. The Bills are light up front. Jordan Phillips is hurt again. Uh, Von Miller has – he's selfishly admitted, like, I'm my knee is shot. Like, he's, in so many words, said that. Uh, no Matt Milano. You know, Micah Hyde's got a stinger. Who knows if he's even going to play. Like, you're on the road. Why not just run six offensive linemen six, seven times on, on Sunday with two running backs? You know, fullback and just have like one. You know what I mean, like, do get creative with that type of stuff. They ran Wildcat in the Chargers game once it worked, and they haven't gone back to it. So, these are the type of things you kind of have to get gimmicky here. Um, that's the one thing where, if you look at Mike Lafleur when he was here, and he had Mike Whites and Josh Johnson and Joe Flacco's, it was the throwbacks, it was the Philly specials, it was all these different things he was doing to manufacture first downs. Again, you have to be able to call plays. You know, most of the game, anyways. But they got to get a little bit more. Just like, let's get a little crazy here. And the one thing I'm curious, I've seen this batted around, and I, I honestly, like, I get the concept of great defense. You have good kicking game. Don't make mistakes on offense. Like, that all makes sense. But I guess I could also counter with, like, your defense is built to deal with mistakes. And I almost feel like by handicapping the offense so much, it's like kind of confusing. Like the defense is then somehow on the field even more because they don't get first. Like, is that a crazy thought? I don't, I'm not sure. I, I feel like the concept's almost backwards. No, it's actually a good point. Cause like at its core, it is kind of a bend don't break defense. So if you're going to take risks that maybe get you bad field position. Okay. Well, like that's where when we're in a condensed area, we're going to get the stop. But if you're always just kind of, you know, not taking any chances, not taking any risks, like getting, you know, full fields, your defense might be out there for 70 yards of a drive. And yeah, they'll hold up for a field goal, but they're getting gassed the entire time playing so many snaps and, you know, again, eventually holding up. But yeah, it's what, like you're not a, you're not a blitzing team. It's not a team that's going to play up and press a ton and like try to jump routes and do things like that. Um, I'm not saying you have to do that. I'm more saying that's just kind of the foundation of how the defense works. Um, so no, it's actually, I actually don't think it's crazy at all. I think it's kind of a good point. Um, like you are built to, all right, you know what? We're going to take a risk at the, at our own 35. And if Zach throws an interception at the, at the 50, okay, fine. Like it's, it's we're not still going to give up three. three. Yeah. We're going to give up three. Yeah, no matter yeah, what. Like, like, yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, and then to the, to the wonky stuff, I think your, your bread and butter can't be getting crazy. Uh, you need to, like you said, you need to know how to play sequence and have like a, a standard uh, approach to offense. But there's been a big uptick in sixth offensive linemen across the league this year, at least the last month or so. Um, the 21 and 22 personnel, I think it should be more of a thing. I think Joe Brady's going to start doing a lot of that in Buffalo. He did it a bunch in Carolina. Um, like you're going to see some wonkiness from him. And, and yeah, well, why not uh, bring some wonkiness of your own to the mix? Yeah, I'm actually really excited for this game on, on Sunday. And I want to go to the Joe Brady um 
go to the Joe Brady, Ken Dorsey stuff. I'm going to start out with this because you had a couple of viral tweets on this that just simply stating stats and then somehow um, people got very upset. Ken Dorsey was a good offensive coordinator. He is a good offensive coach. He's really good at coaching quarterbacks. Josh Allen's awesome. Okay. Like he is the classic. He is very Aaron judge ish in terms of like his numbers where Aaron judge, when he's cold, you get the strikeouts. You're like, no, oh, dude, he's not the best hitter in baseball. And then he goes not, you know, over a three game stretch, he's nine for 14 with eight home runs. And you're like, okay, that's the MVP, right? Like we've seen Josh Allen leads the league in touchdowns. He still can make throws that I'd argue he probably can make throws that nobody else in the league can make just with the way he like the amount of power. Sometimes you'd wish Josh, like the Gabe Davis interception, buddy, it doesn't need to be 145 mile an hour fastball. Like you don't need to be our Elvis Chapman. Again, but Josh Allen also three or four interceptions this year have been like as stupid of interceptions as you'll see. Like I'm not talking to throw it up, which I still don't really, I'm not giving him a pass Dan Orlovsky style on that. Like it is still a bad interception and those things do create momentum, but like, You'll live with that. Um, I don't know. They're a top five EPA team. They were they were better statistically under Dorsey than they were under Dable with less talent and a worse offensive line, a worse defense. I know Dorsey wasn't great sequencing wise. I understand like they came a little predictable and like they just don't run the football. But when they do run the football, they're good. They're, you can make all the arguments you want. I thought Rodgers put it best. It's crazy that they botched on special teams. You know, the, the way the bills work for people, by the way, that don't watch the bills every week. Sean McDermott's the DC and the head coach. So when he's coaching the defense, the special teams coordinator is the head coach. That's the way it works. It's a trade-off. Okay. Well, the special teams coordinator and whoever is in charge of counting 12 men on the field didn't do their job that therefore it's on Sean McDermott for appointing that person in charge. They lose a stupid game again. Now their offensive coordinator is fired because Josh Allen and James Cook couldn't hold on to the football and now they're hiring – they have a guy in Joe Brady who, like, is going to run the exact same system and has five days to implement it against the best defensive football. Like, maybe the Bills are awesome on Sunday. I also just think this was a classic heads got a roll here, and, like, firing your OC felt a little lame, if, I, if I'm being honest. 110%. And, look, like, he's not perfect. Like, of course, you know, some of the criticisms I got to posting, you know, like, it was funny, too, because everyone's like, oh, EPA is a made-up fake thing. It's like, I also just posted a scoring drive rate, which yeah, I you did your worst not, nightmare. Like... You posted yardage. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. So, like, I also just posted literally how often they put the biscuit the, the biscuit in the basket. Like, I, I wasn't trying to reinvent the wheel there. But, look, he was, like, I, I agree with you. There is some issues at times with sequencing. Um Yes, they don't run the ball really effectively at all, but they actually still have a higher rush rate over expected than the Kansas City Chiefs um, and a couple other football teams. So, I mean, look, first of all, yeah, McDermott, dude, the last five weeks, McDermott's defense uh, with games against the Patriots, Giants, Buccaneers, and one other bad team are literally dead last in the NFL and EPA per play allowed. And again, I know that's a fake stat that, that, you know, nerds made up on a spreadsheet in a lab. But, But anyway, like, that plus then the coaching, like you said, if they if the first field goal misses and that's the game, this doesn't even happen. So like that's also why it's super lame. It's like you're not even really reacting to what the offense did in that game in particular. But Joe Brady is interesting. I do think, of course, I mean, midseason, of course, he's probably just going to keep the same principles and not do a ton differently. It is very funny too. He has like Jets, Cowboys. He has like four of the best defenses in the NFL in the next month. Like it's like, hey, I think the Niners are in there. It's like, hey, good luck, man. The Eagles are one of the teams they play. So I agree. It's not going to be very different this week, but I do think when you get Dawson Knox back, they've been doing a lot more 12 personnel, but he ran a ton of 12 personnel um, in Carolina. 
which maybe was, you know, personnel specific, but obviously with Kincaid and Knox, you're going to do that. I wonder if we see more of, especially with Lenny now getting into the fold, like because James Cook is a different type of back, are we going to get him and Latavius Murray, you know, like, like some different, different personnel packages that the alignment's kind of the same, but he runs different concepts from different personnel packages. I think there were kind of tells and giveaways at times, which was kind of, I think, a bit of his downfall in Carolina, although I kind of think he got scapegoated there too, uh, which is funny. He's now replacing a, a different scapegoat in Buffalo. But but anyway, it'll, it'll be the same offense for the most part. The GM and the head coach were the ones that like failed here. Like, like the Bills draft classes haven't been terrible, but there's one pass catcher I trust and, and a rookie Dalton Kincaid. Um, the offensive line, like Deion Dawkins is good. The rest of the unit's like fine. Um and then, yeah, the defense, it, you know, I, I thought the defense wasn't oh. going to be good this year coming into the season, and here we are. <laughs> yeah, I, this is a game, and I, I've talked about this. The Jets, like, I, I joked, but it's it's true. The Jets are fifth in the league in yards per carry. You, I know everyone's going to oh, a couple runs skew it. Well, guess what? That's what a couple pass plays or a couple big run plays. That's the way it works um, in the NFL, right? The Jets had one bad game on. They'd be the best pass defense in the NFL. They're third because they had one bad game, uh, you know, against Dallas, like, Sorry, but those all count. Like, Brees Hall running for 70 yards is still a good carry, uh, whether you like it or not. The Jets are predictable, right? And, again, it's Brees Hall first and second down runs a lot of times. But they need to run the football. Like The Bills, Matt Milano kills the Jets. Him and J.C. Jackson over the last five years, I can't think of two players who look forward to playing the Jets more than those two guys. It's an interception. Of, I mean, he ended Mike White's probably chance of ever being a starter in the NFL and the Jets season last year. He destroyed Zach Wilson with an interception and headbutted him, got away with it, um, you know, early in the year. And, you know, obviously J.C. Jackson picked off Sam Darnold a thousand times. So, like, I, I say all that to say, like, I don't – the Jets should win this game. I know that sounds crazy. I know they've played horrible the last two weeks. I know the Bills are still a really good team, and I'm sure the Bills could take care of business easily on Sunday. But the dig stuff is legit, and I don't care about them posting a video. This is not, like, a new thing. And – like it or not, when people's siblings start spouting off about stuff, like that's been discussed so many times, and that he feels so freely he can say whatever he wants. Trayvon Diggs, again, that's not my problem. It's not my team. It's not you know, my brother. So I would do whatever you want. But if you think Josh Allen doesn't hear that and then is going to force the ball a thousand times on Sunday to Stefan Diggs inadvertently against a team that a cornerback group that through nine games has given up less than a thousand yards total to receivers all season that plays right into the Jets' hands. Like, that's what the Jets want, you know, want to do against Josh Allen. This defense is built to play against these big play, high-risk, high-reward guys. That's why their best games this year are against Hurts, Allen, Mahomes. Um, you know, that's why these guys, like, struggle. Herbert, like, but Mac Jones, like, doesn't suck against the Jets because he doesn't. He takes the five-yard check down every time. So how does this matchup work out for the Jets? They've played Josh Allen, again, better than any team in the league the last – two years at least I mean, since he came in the league, but the last two years specifically Zach Wilson's weirdly two and up or two and one, two and one, I guess, technically in Josh Allen, but um, two and zero oh in his last two starts, which is objectively hilarious. And again, we don't know what's going to happen injury wise, but the jets are mostly healthy and the bills are kind of banged up on the defensive side of the ball going along with all the season ending injury guys. Yeah. So, you know, I would say the same thing about uh, Zach Wilson. The flip side is, 
I guess Rasul Douglas is now the number one corner. I thought he actually played pretty darn well in that Denver game. Like, you do need to feed Garrett Wilson, but I, I wouldn't lock in on him and zero in on him because Christian Benford's banged up right now. They have no faith in Kyrie Elam whatsoever. Like, you might even get some Josh Norman in this game, potentially, which is pretty funny in its own right. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, but also I agree with you. You need to run the football because these young linebackers – I think they're like talent, like athletically gifted. They don't really know what they're doing right now um, on the field. You can just see it. Um, and then, like, yeah, Ed Oliver's good. Gregory Rousseau's good. But the rest of the defensive line, and even those guys, like, I think you can run on Oliver. Rousseau, I think, is pretty much a good all-around football player at this point. But, but yeah, like, I think you really need to, do it to, to attack the middle of the field like you're talking about. The safeties, even when they're healthy, are 32, 33 years old. I don't know if, like you said, if Hyde even plays in this game. They're both good players, but, um, you know, so that's that side of the ball. I would just not be predictable, but, yeah, like, don't be afraid to run the ball down their throat, have long possessions, et cetera, et cetera. And then on defense, it's the same recipe that's worked against Josh Allen forever. Like, don't blitz, send four, sit back there. Yeah, like, hope he throws it to the digs thing. The first tweet the night of, I was like, you know what? It might, uh, might be a brother just kind of, whatever, expressing frustration. When you wake up the next morning and, like, double down 12 hours later, it's like, okay, like, this. obviously there's something here that's more than just, like, um, you know, just kind of whatever. My favorite off. my favorite narrative of this whole Diggs thing, and I know you're going to agree with this, <laughs> all, all week I keep hearing, what did the Bills do to deserve this? Like, why did – how did they – like, what, what have they done to, like – it's all, like, a fake narrative that's been created. Dude, in OTAs, they asked Sean McDermott, yeah. where the fuck is Stefan Diggs? And he said, this is a really big deal. We're nervous. Like, we don't know where he is. It's like, your head coach said it. That's why everyone ran with it. No one ran with it for no reason. And then, like, you could have easily said, hey, he was emotional during a playoff game in which we were getting boat raced at home. And, you know, he didn't get the football. That's what happens. Like, receivers act that way. Players act that way. It happens. You literally created the news yourself and then are now mad at people for talking about it. And then when, as you mentioned the brother of your best player outside of stuff out of Josh Allen is spouting off about how Josh Allen wasn't shit before Stephon Diggs got there. People are going to react. Sorry. It's the middle of the season. They're five and five and they have seven losable games on their schedule remaining. Yeah, it's, it's inevitable. And I mean, I do think it's also funny. Like if you forced your way off a team with Josh Allen as a receiver, like you're a moron, but like, yeah, I was <laughs> like, gonna say, you, you might not, you might not win a title. You are going to get targets like a lot of them. You're gonna, For sure. Yeah, for sure. You're going to get fed on the Carolina Panthers. So it's like, uh, but yeah, no, and yeah, there's literally like maybe what one or two upgrades that you could go to probably just Pat Mahomes like definitively. Uh, but anyway, so yeah, I, I mean, I think on defense, like it's, it's pretty simple and, and I do think, you know, what's the status on Mosley? Cause I know Sherwood had to play a bunch in this past game. Like is he, gonna play. Right, he's, he's going to play. He's going to play. He came back in, he came back in and got two stops. He literally spiked his helmet and I was like, not that their season's over, but I was like, if he's not in there, like everybody is incrementally worse. Because it's like, right. I think people forget that, like, C.J. Mosley's job is not just as a player. He's divorced that locker room. But even more importantly, it's a lot easier for Quincy Williams to just go rogue and just absolutely destroy people when he knows every, he's got to be in the right spot and all this stuff. He spikes his helmet, and then I'm like, oh, my God. This two, two four-minute, you know, NFL drives with, uh, with no Mosley. This is terrible. Comes back in out of nowhere. No one even sees him check in the last drive of the game, makes two of the three stops. I'm like, this guy is ridiculous. Okay, I mean, I'm, that even went over my head. So I actually thought Sherwood played decent ball when he was in there too. But anyway, so um, I, I made probably just like one snap that I remember. But anyway, uh, yeah, like I, I think the recipe is, is the same. Like I, I agree, Joe Brady. I think actually historically, 
is a different play caller than Ken Dorsey, but like you really, you cater stuff to your personnel. What he did at LSU had nothing to do with what he did at Carolina. So, you know, therefore it's going to be, you're going to see the Bills offense. It is tough. There probably is going to be the like guy got fired morale bump and all that in Buffalo, but like the Jets need to rise to the occasion. And that's not an excuse. Um, yeah. I don't know if I would say I, they should, like they, I'm expecting them to win. It's a full touchdown spread for a reason, but it is a winnable game. Um, no question about it. Yeah, I also think the Jets got that boost of, like, backs against the wall. We feel confident again. Like, the Jets have just played really confidently against the Bills, especially defensively. I don't know for whatever reason. That's just because the way they performed, just see it every time. It's every game. Like, they could get down 17-0, 13-0 against the Bills, and, like, you don't ever feel like the game's over. Even last year, the Mike White game, like, Michael Carter doesn't fumble there. They probably win the football game. Like, it, <laughs> you know what I mean? And so it's that's just kind of the way, way kind of the cookie crumbles, I guess. Last time, two questions here before we wrap. Um, you know, what do you do? You realistically think the Jets have to do to get Rodgers back this year? Like, let's just say he's he's going to get cleared at some point. I think he'll get cleared no matter what because that's just he wants to say he gets cleared, whether he's even healthy or not. What like when do you think if we see him, we will like when is a realistic time to see him? And B, what do they have to be at? or around do you think over this next four games like what do they have to do this next four games to stay in it long enough to even have a chance of getting uh you know Pfizer Mr. Pfizer back I think like you have to at least go two and two I would say is the floor and I mean pick which games are which like just go two and two because now look like it gets interesting with Cleveland now having to start Dorian Thompson Robinson we imagine the wheels are going to fall off of Pittsburgh at some point. They obviously play Cleveland this week, but then they have, I want to say they have Cincinnati after that. Cause it's, it's a wild card thing. Like I think at this point, like Miami might be able to pull away a little bit. They are, you know, two touchdown favorites against the Raiders this week. They have, a, they have the easiest, I think remaining schedule of, of these teams. Um, obviously you finish the year with commanders, Browns, Patriots. So like, it, you know, it, it gets much better, but go two and two in these games it's tough that Houston at home looked like a W, but coming into the year is certainly not that at this point. But yeah, go two and two and hope that some other, you know, wild card type teams keep losing. But the beauty is you play those teams. You play Buffalo. You would, in theory, eventually play the Browns. And what, week 17, they play the Browns. Um, so yeah, go two and two. I think Rodgers will try to come back if they're around 500 and if there's a clear path to getting the seven seed or six seed, whatever. Yeah, look, again, do I think it's realistic? Probably not. Do I think they can win the division? I have no idea. But what I will say is, of their last remaining eight games, they have four at home. They don't go any further than Cleveland in any type of travel. They go to New England. They go to Buffalo, Miami. Um, they obviously, they get Washington and Cleveland on the road. They have Washington, Houston, Atlanta, and the Dolphins at home. Most, more importantly, the Cleveland Browns are ahead of them. They play them. The Patriots obviously are not good, but they have you know, them remaining on the schedule. It's important for a divisional tiebreaker. They have Miami twice, who's two games ahead of them. They have Buffalo, again, who they have a tiebreaker over and are half a game back of. And they play Houston, who is a game, uh, half a game ahead of them. Like, as crazy as this sounds, like, everyone's really upset about the loss of the Chargers. I get it. The Chargers are still destined to ha- win seven games this year because the division they're in, they keep losing games too. Like, they beat the Jets, and that's great. And, like, the Raiders are ahead of them. Look at the Raiders and the, the Chargers schedule. They're likely not going to be relevant. You mentioned the Browns. It's kind of all opened up for the Jets here, even though they've kind of strapped themselves in the foot. They're so streaky, and I started off the podcast with saying this. Like, Again, if you don't win Sunday or win one of the next two games, it doesn't matter. That said, like, 
they very easily could win both. Like that's the way this team is. They they play really well against good teams, and they if they're like even 50-50 or even favored in a game, like they're likely going to play terrible. Like that's that's unfortunately what we've seen all year. Um, I guess last thing here, we got a couple primetime games that that do affect the Jets. One of them tonight, it's Brown, it's Bengals, uh, it's Bengals Ravens. I assume if you're a Jets fan, you're wanting the Ravens to win tonight, correct? Like I know the Ravens kind of botched it, unfortunately, for the Jets, uh, you know, against the Browns uh, last weekend. But um, I assume like that's a that's a pretty big game because then Cincinnati's I think they would have lost four or five conference games at this point, which is a pretty large number this early in the season. I know you definitely want the Ravens if you are the Jets here. The since he would be what five and five at that point, I want to say. Yeah. Um, you know, which is and again, have tough games to go. Like you said, the AFC West, the Chargers, Raiders, and Broncos that are all what five and five, four and five, they're gonna beat up on each other. The AFC North is gonna continue to, you know, like lionize each other. So um yeah, I think you're a Ravens fan tonight if you're if you're if you want the Jets to make the playoffs for sure. Yeah. The Bengals would move to one and five in the conference, which is Jeez. Yeah, which is tough. Um, the Steelers at some point with their negative point differential and Kenny Pickett not, you know, on his Zach Wilson vibes will eventually, <laughs> I just don't, unless they figure it out here, I don't know how they keep winning games. Although I guess if you want the Jets to win games, you kind of hope that it's the same recipe the Steelers are going with. Um, a last question I want to ask you quickly is a lot of heat this week on Robert Sala, a ton on Nate Hackett. Why does it keep happening where like, is it just because it's in season where like the GM and the owner and stuff are kind of out of it and it's all just on the head coach and Sal is kind of the, in the media, he's kind of the punching bag for like what he says, obviously gets blown up. Like, I just feel like it's, it's annoying when it's like Joe Douglas has built a really nice roster here in a lot of ways, but like everyone's getting mad at Robert Sala that like, they don't have guys wide open. Like I, look at the, there's five of the six guys are basically undrafted. I think everyone other than Garrett Wilson's literally an undrafted player was already got paid. He's another undrafted guy. So like, someone did build this roster and it wasn't Robert Sala. So like, why is it just always on the head coach in the OC? Is that just the easy thing to do? Or like, it's because it's during the season. It's funny. I think there's like a ladder where general managers around the league are like, they can take the brunt of it sometimes for like Roger Goodell. Goodell takes the brunt for the owners. And then I guess, yeah, in season head coaches take the brunt for the GMs. It's kind of this like, like, you know, cascading hierarchy of who gets all the blame I would say this, like, it's also, it's, it's a fan struggle with just like, especially the Jets fans, because it keeps happening. But like the offensive line, again, with the injuries, like, look, we probably talked about, should you have come into the season with Dwayne Brown and Makai Becton as your top tackles? Maybe not, but they did have ABT and Billy Turner and like, you know, on the interior, like you draft a good prospect to be a swing inside guy that probably you thought was going to maybe start at a certain point for Connor McGovern, like, and so on and so forth. So there is that, but Yes, we. I'm going to bring up the quarterback thing. We're in alignment there. It was a complicated situation, but realistically, you needed to bring in a good backup, and, and you know, not an easy thing to do. But the pass catcher thing is huge. Where Lazard would show up better playing with Rodgers, not even as a as a receiver. Something's as, off there. Something's off there. He was on the injury report weirdly that no one even knew about. He looked banged up. He's not moving as well, and like he has no confidence. I'm not saying he's concussed. I'm saying there's something off because it. Lazard is a really good run blocker. He can't even run block right now. Like it's penalty after penalty. It's offsides, illegal formations, holdings, drops. Like he's just almost needs, he needs a night. He needs a nice ayahuasca trip for a couple of days. I mean, I, I'm not going to debate you on that one, uh, but yeah, no, it's like, 
he, with with a with a bad quarterback, Lazard's not going to be a guy that produces in spite of that. Like that's just not what he is or what he ever has been. Um, you know, he's a guy that if you do have a good offense where you're going to face lighter boxes and and your passing game is going to open things up for your run game, having him be that big slot and be a guy that can block as well as any wide receiver in the NFL becomes this increasingly valuable thing because you don't need to leave guys in or be in 12 personnel or do all these very like he can just be that player when that goes away and and teams are loading the box against you and they're 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 bringing defenders up because they don't need to sit deep and and be afraid of your deep passing like that constricts the field Lazard wins in the intermediate area he doesn't win deep and he's not going to like catch a screen pass and break off a, a big gain so like what he where he brings his value is tied to playing with the Rodgers. I know that sounds like an annoying answer. Like, well, we paid the guy. He's only good. Well, yeah, kind of like that. That is what happened. Like that, that's how that works. So, but I, I hear you. He must be injured because look, do I think he was great in green Bay? No, but he was never like a total drop guy. His drop rate is the high. It's like top five in the NFL right now. Um, he was he hit some drop issues on like deep balls, but he never really seemed to drop like intermediate stuff over the middle. Like if anything, I liked how over the middle, he would take hits and still hold on to the football. Um, so yeah, it's a little bit weird with him for sure, but yeah, you have one receiver and, and, and the offensive line is a disaster, which I, that one, I put more on injuries uh, than anything else, but yeah, head coaches take the brunt. Uh, the GM is sitting up in the office during, during the season, I suppose. Yeah. It's a little, a little Yankees ish where Aaron Boone just gets destroyed day to day. And it's like, <laughs> dude, he's the only guy talking day to day. Um, I just wanted one more thing I wanted to add. Oh, from a cat perspective, does the Michael Carter thing impact them at all long-term and be, I know people. A lot of people have kind of pondered what if they cut CJ. Mo- I mean, they cut a uh, CJ Uzama. If they cut CJ Mosley, I'll ride on this podcast. But uh, CJ Uzama, like, could they do the same thing where he's inactive and they go Ruckert, Conklin, Yaboa? You know, going forward this year, like if Uzama says, "Dude, I want to play," like I'm not going to sit here as an inactive. I'm not saying they're going to make him that. He could be inactive this weekend. I'm not sure. I haven't heard anything on that you know front. But uh, what would that look like? Because I know. The, uh, the the restructuring in the offseason the Jets did with C.J. Uzama balloons his payment next year uh, quite a bit. So, like, how how would something like that work? And did Carter affect them at all? Carter, no, because you basically just replace a minimum salary with a different minimum salary on your 51. Um, so it's, it's like, no issue there. Uzama would come down to if someone claimed him or not, which they probably would. I, he's not a great player, but, you know, $3.5 million salary. So that prorated, you know, for the, what, seven weeks remaining of the season – um, is obviously not a whole lot of money. I mean, like the Bengals would probably bring him back in a heartbeat. Um, so like they could, you wouldn't get any caps. It would be a new, like a net neutral move. Um, you know, from a cap standpoint, if anything, you'd probably lose a little bit of space. Uh, cause again, you're replacing him on the roster and he does have a lot of that prorated money. So not a huge solution there, uh, with, with Mr. Usama. And we'll get into it. One other guy I wanted to ask you about, and I know it's not a question for right now, but I just was curious, just put it out there. Cause it's fun to antagonize some people sometimes is Zach like his number is pretty insane next year again no like it's is it going to be pretty high in his fourth year like they obviously they're not going to pick up his fifth year option but I'm just saying like for any conversation of like oh if he plays better is he on the roster next year and again we can talk about this in the offseason but like is that number that number is pretty pretty large no 11 million dollar cap hit for a borderline unplayable backup quarterback is not it's a big number yeah I, I would say so and the issue too is it's it's all fully guaranteed money um you know because it's a second overall pick so the only way you're getting out of that is hey can someone give us a seventh round pick for this guy which i it's weird like i, I just don't know if they if they want to get into that into those waters 
obviously Salah keeps backing him in time and time again. Said, well, he actually played pretty well this past week. I actually don't think he was horrendous, but it's also like, yeah, but the Raiders also aren't good. Um, you know, so anyway, it's it's not ideal, that's for sure. Oh, this is what I meant to ask you before. The Watson situation. Um, be remiss if I didn't bring this up. Obviously, Deshaun Watson's out for the year. To I guess his credit, um, he played through what seems like two pretty intense injuries that are season enders, you know, on Sunday. And this he actually kind of looked pretty good in the second half for the first time, I think, since he's come back from the off the field stuff, which is obviously horrendous stuff. And, you know, I'm not going to get into that on this podcast, obviously, but very, very gross things. If whatever that is true. And I'm sure a lot of it is based on the fact that he got suspended for 12 games. So everyone can tell me he was innocent, but the NFL findings clearly didn't feel that way. Um, that said, uh, what did like the Browns do here? Because I, I think he goes from like, like this year was like 19 million, the way it was structured. The next four years are like $65 million a year in like salary or whatever. Like the, it's a huge number. Like, right. I don't, they're kind of, kind of screwed now. Like going to keep restructuring it. Right. So that is, that is the 64 million is the cap hit. They've owe him $46 million in cash in each year. And they'll just continue to turn that into a minimum salary and then push $44 million down the line, um, which is, you know, the risk is massive, especially if the guy keeps getting hurt. Yeah. I mean, this is why I don't even like, I'm not saying this I don't want players to get it, but like, this is why, and again, ignoring the other stuff from a football standpoint, why it's so darn hard to get fully guaranteed contracts in this league, because this is, you know, this, this risk here, even at the most important position, I mean, this is a disaster. Like they're, they're, they paid him. Um, like 92 like 90, million. So- yeah. It's 92 million so far. Yeah. For 10, what? 10 games. He's 10 played game, he's 14, in- 14 touchdowns, nine picks, and he's played in yeah. 10 games. Yeah. So they paid him $90 million for that. And he's been good. He was good in Tennessee game. And he was good for a half of the Baltimore game and that's it. So uh, yeah, that's anyway. So what do they do? No, yeah, they're going to just continue. Like you, you, you bought into this where you just have to push the money down the line. No one's going to trade for him. He's not going to take guarantees off his money. He has no reason to um, you just keep pushing down the line and become the, you know, New Orleans saints of the Midwest. Right. Well, we can, uh, the Saints are in a pretty hilarious spot. We said it every year, but like eventually you do have to pay the bill. You can finagle it all you want. The Jets should do everything they can in 24 and 25 to go all in. Um, oh, I'm, yeah. just, I'm just saying your owner does pay that in cash. Like this isn't like a, uh, <laughs> you're not uh, totally out of the woods. Appreciate you hopping on as always. Again, I'll be back. Uh, I'll be back Monday to or potentially Sunday at night. It depends on how the game goes. Um, I try to collect myself after losses because you know, I don't want to be the. I'm I'm not looking to get a a career in uh, in hot takes with Skip Bayless. So um, appreciate everybody for listening. Uh, you know, subscribe, rate, review the whole nine yards. Um, yeah, appreciate you having on as always, Brad, and uh, we'll talk to you guys on Monday.